Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hi, this is Billy Tarasio with Modern Law, and today I'm so happy to be joined by Dario Romero. Dario is a practicing attorney here in Tempe, Arizona. He is um, a Spanish speaker and he does personal injury and immigration. And today we're going to talk about the intersection of immigration and divorce, which of course comes up all the time. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Dario. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm excited to talk about immigration, family law, and how that intertwines. Absolutely. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about your practice? Well, um, I only have one office here in Tempe, and it's a small firm, and I like to be a small firm because I think we can develop deliver um, a good experience. We handle immigration, and immigration, there's a lot of parts of immigration. There's removal defense, there's family-based petitions, there is U-Visas, that's when someone's been the victim of a crime. There's VAWAs, when they uh, you've been married to a U.S. citizen or a spouse, and there's been some type of abuse. So that's what I handle when it comes to immigration and personal injuries, simple car accidents, slip and falls. But I think immigration is very, very interesting and exciting. It is. It is. And it's also complicated. So I have a lot of people who will come to modern law looking for divorce and they've got questions. And the question might be, you know, we're engaged. We have a child together. We're here on a fiance visa. We're breaking up what now? So let's take that first. What happens if, uh, in that situation? So if someone entered on a fiance visa, the whole purpose of that visa is for them to get married within the first 90 days of arriving. If you do not get married, then that can affect your case and you cannot marry someone else. It has to be that specific person. Now, if there's been some type of abuse uh, and that's the reason why the marriage didn't happen. Then there can be some type of relief, but usually they have to get married. Once they get married, then there's a different step. They have to apply for what's called the adjustment of status. So those 90 days are very crucial if a person has entered on a fiance visa. Now, what if somebody entered on a fiance visa, got married, and then they want to get divorced shortly thereafter? Is that a problem for your immigration status? If they were not able to adjust their status, meaning that they weren't able to become a legal permanent resident, then yes, because they won't be in legal status and technically they can be deportable. Mm-hmm. They, can, and, um, they can fall into deportation proceedings. Now, if they got married and they finalized the green card process or the adjustment of status process, and then they get divorced, well, then it comes into the question how long they've been married. For immigration purposes, if they, at the time of approval, if they've been married for less than two years, they'll get the conditional green card, meaning that they have to come back in two years to apply for the removal of those conditions, and they have to show that they're still married, or if they're divorced, that they enter the marriage in good faith. Wow. And if it's been past those two years, for example, they got the 10-year green card, then it doesn't matter if they get divorced or not. Okay. All right. So if you're married, 
but you haven't finalized your status, you really can't get divorced. Can you get legally separated? From, well, for immigration purposes, either right. you're married or you're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> there, so there's, uh, I know for on the state level, it makes a difference mm -hmm. from a federal level because of immigration's federal law. Um, you have you're married or not. Now, there is a question whether if it's a legitimate marriage. Now, mm -hmm. if there's a pending application and that application hasn't been approved, then yes, if you're separated, then that goes as to, is it a legitimate marriage? Yes mm -hmm. or no? Because usually a married couple live together, they might have children, whatever the evidence may be. But if you're separated, then there can be a question whether or not it's a legitimate relationship. Okay. All right. Next question. Um, I will have a couple come to me and one, one of the parties will be here without status and the other party will be threatening or wondering, can I call Homeland Security and get them deported? Any ideas on that? Well, anything's possible. So now if the individual does not have legal status or pending legal status, and they have, for example, overstayed their, their visa or they entered illegally, under the current presidential administration, everyone who's violating immigration law is a priority for the government. So yes, if they call ICE, technically they can come and detain that person because they are violating an immigration law. Uh, will it happen? Probably not because ICE is just, there's so many cases and they usually focus on people who have criminal case, uh, cases. Uh, I'm sure they get a lot of calls like this one. Mm -hmm. uh, they might or might not appear mm -hmm. and arrest that person. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So it sounds like that that is a little bit of a danger, but it doesn't usually actually come to fruition. I can tell you in family court, the family court does not care. So if you walk into family court and you say, you know, they're here illegally, it's honestly not relevant to the analysis of what's in the best interest of the children, unless there's um, some sort of possibility of immediate deportation. So unless an, a lawyer gets real creative, um, a judge isn't going to want to hear it. Uh, with that being said, it is used, I think, sometimes to really intimidate people. Uh -huh. And, and so, uh, you know, I had one one client, um, potential client who came in who had been terrorized by her spouse because she was pretty sure that he would take away her immigration status and get her sent away. Is that a possibility? So the let me make sure I understood the person who came into your office had legal status or was it the other person? So I, I think she, I think her legal status had expired or she had been waiting for her husband to help her become legitimate and she wasn't. And he was using that to essentially terrorize her and take her kids away. Well, there's the two parts to this. The one, whether the person with no legal status has any recourse, uh, from the immigration standpoint, if there's been any abuse and that's mental, emotional, physical abuse, a person can potentially apply for VAWA, which is the uh, Victims Against Violent, or I always forget the acronym. I just know it's VAWA. <laughs> it's the Violence Against, uh, uh, the, the Violence Against Women's Act. Yes. And potentially that you can apply to become a resident through that if you can show that you've been 
um, suffering these types of threats. Now, if a person doesn't have legal status, can they leave their, the country and possibly take the children? I know that comes into a lot of different jurisdictions. There's state law, there's immigration law, and then there's the law of the country where the person is from. And just like we don't have to follow, or the U.S. doesn't have to follow the, the rules from any other country, it works both ways. So it's kind of hard that if a person did take the children out of country, how do you bring them back? Now, that's a international question, and it's hard to answer because... There's so much at play. Yeah, um, those cases are some of the hardest. And one of the first questions we ask is, are they a signatory to the Hague Convention? Uh -huh. So the Hague Convention, many countries have signed on, and it, it, it deals with this exact issue. If somebody has taken a child out of the country and you know to flee, to take them away from their parents, then the countries that are signatories to the Hague Convention have promised to send them back to the original jurisdiction. Those cases are hard and sometimes they take years and years. And um, is that something that your office and the immigration people touch or not really? My office does not, but there is a crossover with the Hague Convention when it comes to uh, adopting a child from one of those countries mm -hmm. and doing it properly for an immigration benefit. Mm -hmm. So there are there is a little crossover when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. I do not handle those because, again, it's pretty complicated and those cases are not as common. Mm -hmm. uh, so I haven't had to, uh, every case that I get similar, I just refer out to people who handle those a lot more consistently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Dario, if somebody is here and they don't have legal status, what should they do? Well, if they're married to a U.S. citizen or resident, I recommend to get a, a uh, legal uh, consultation because someone might be eligible to become a green card holder. Sometimes they might, it might not be as easy because sometimes they require, the law requires them to leave the country and come back that way. So there's usually two channels. And sometimes, depending on the facts, they're not able to adjust. Um, there's also VAWA. That's one of the other options or if there's any other type of family-based petition. For example, a parent can petition for someone, a child, a sibling. It all matters as to which country the person is from because it, there is a waiting list, basically. Some countries are faster than others. For example, Mexico, if a uh, parent is petitioning for you, you're already over the age of 21, you can be looking at 20 years a wait period before you're eligible to become a resident. So usually the fastest route is through a U.S. citizen um, child over the age of 21 or a U.S. citizen spouse. Okay. All right. So it sounds like uh, there are a lot of different rules and it depends on a lot of different things like where you're from and who you're related to and who has status here. Um, Correct. So they just need to come see you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it really, immigration is very complex and there's so many different scenarios. And that's why with immigration law, it changes so much because the interpretation uh, changes almost on a monthly basis. And that comes from the board of immigration appeals that comes from the attorney general of the United States. The attorney general can refer a case to himself or herself if that ever changes. And the attorney general makes the definitions if, if he wants to. So it's one person changing immigration or redefining immigration law 
also Ninth Circuit cases are, are there's a lot of immigration cases in the Ninth Circuit that change these types of definitions and whether you can or you cannot do something. So that's the good and the bad thing about immigration. It changes very, very constantly. Wow. Okay. Now, if someone has a child here that was born here, mm-hmm. are they are they able to apply under that child? Only, well, if the child is now 21 years or older, okay. yes, the child can petition for a parent. Okay. Now, if it's a minor child, there's no straightforward application one can file. Okay. Now, if the parent is facing deportation, then yes, there is an application called cancellation of removal. And that's when the individual has been in the United States for at least 10 years and they have a qualifying relative, which a child can be considered a qualifying relative for immigration purposes. Now, to win those cases is very hard because we have to show a very high standard of hardship towards the child. So unless the child has a rare medical condition or something very, very unique, we're not going to win those cases. Okay. All right. And when does an asylum claim come into play? That's when someone is afraid to go back to their home country and they're being persecuted for one of five things, which it can be political opinion, race, nationality, religion, or a particular social group. And a particular social group has a lot of subcategories. It can be people who are from the LGBT community, that from their country, they're being persecuted because of that. It can be because they're from an indigenous tribe. It can be on many different things. And then once a person comes into the United States, they have to file that asylum within the first year of arriving, or they may lose the opportunity to do so. Ah, uh, so there's a there's a, to- a clock on that. Yes. And then we also have to show that their government cannot protect them, or they basically turn a blind eye. Okay. All right. So Dario, tell me about the your favorite case that you've ever worked on. Uh, there's a lot of good ones. I think the most interesting one was an asylum case where it was actually an attorney from the Republic of Congo that he was fighting for human rights against human rights violations. And then while he was investigating, he was shot at by the government. He fled. He was, uh, he was hurt in the leg. He had to hide for a while. He had to lie to come into the United States, came in, asked for asylum. We were able to show that because of his political views, uh, that he was against all these um, against but these violations against these individuals that were detained. So we were able to win that case. I think it was a very unique case. It was exciting. Um, and then there's a lot of from the family-based petition, it's always nice to see those cases that people have been waiting for 20, 30 years here in the country. And then until the child turns 21, then they can help out their parent. So it's it's kind of draining, but it's exciting because they've been waiting for so long. And it's um, those are the types of cases that I like. What an amazing story. I can certainly see how it would be exciting. What made you decide to be an immigration attorney? Well, Initially, I, I didn't want to be an immigration attorney because I thought it would be cliche that I'm an immigrant myself, and so as my own family. But then I took an uh, internship at a uh, immigration law firm when I was in law school, and I just liked it. It just like I connected, I connected with the clients, with the cases, and now 
I just feel that when I give legal advice, it's not from a, just a professional standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint. So that's how I got into it. I was trying to avoid it, but you can't, you can't avoid destiny. <laughs> so the calling, you were meant to yeah. do this. Where are you from? I'm from Mexico, uh, Baja, California. Nice. How wonderful. My yeah. grandparents immigrated here from Sicily and I grew up hearing their stories and I, I feel so strongly connected to immigrants. I think immigrants mm-hmm. really are really truly are the backbones of our culture. They're the people who take the risks to come here to, to make their way. They are the epitome of what the American culture stands on. So I just thank you for doing it. Thank you for representing immigrants and for fighting for immigrants. Well, thank you. And I appreciate all my clients that, that feel that trust in me handling their case. So I thank them and trusting me. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been a lot of fun. And how can people find you? Well, they can find me if you just Google me. Uh, You can go to my website, dromerolaw.net. Give me a call at 602-675-7575. On Facebook, if you search my name, Dara Romero, you'll be able to find me. And even on Instagram. (laughs) Awesome. And I think it's dromero.law. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you were anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.